Hello and welcome to this podcast from the English language edition of Le Monde Diplomatique. My name is George Miller and this is the first in a new series of podcasts in which I'll be talking to some of the writers who appear in Le Monde Diplomatique. This month I'm delighted to have as my guest Angela Robson. Angela is a writer and journalist for BBC Radio 4 and the World Service. She's recently been to Laos in Southeast Asia to make a documentary about that country's bomb hunters. These are people who risk their lives in a potentially deadly form of recycling by salvaging scrap metal from the millions of tons of ordnance the Americans dropped in their country between 1964 and 1973. As most people know little about Laos, I began by asking Angela to tell me more about the country. Laos is situated, it's in Southeast Asia, it's nestled in between Vietnam and Thailand. It's actually very easy to get to. You fly to Thailand and then it's less than an hour. But it gets very, very few tourists. It's not, not When you talk about Laos, a lot of people don't know where it is. How did you yourself first become aware of it and its political and historical situation? Well, it was I was asked to go on this, it was an ICRC-sponsored trip, Red Cross trip, to highlight the issue of cluster munitions uh, because Laos is the most heavily bombed country in the world. And around the time of the Dublin Treaty on Cluster Munitions, which took place at the end of May, the ICRC wanted to raise awareness of the situation in Laos 30 or so years on from the war which took place. Very little is known about this secret war and the long-term effects on, on the population living with cluster munitions. Yeah, the Americans were conducting a secret, a covert war for nine years. It was the, the other theatre while the Vietnam War was going on. Can you, can you tell me a bit about uh, what was happening to, to Laos in those years? What the Americans were trying to do was to stop the growing communist movement in Laos and destroy the North Vietnamese Army's Ho Chi Minh Trail. And that ran through Laos and transported troops and supplies from north to south Vietnam. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the war was carried out secretly and the United States States called Laos the other theatre. Due to the secrecy, US pilots were advised they could ignore the rules of engagement, which had to be kept in Vietnam and Cambodia, and bombers were free to bomb whatever they liked, temples, hospitals, schools and villages. And they did. And Laos was also used as a dumping ground for US pilots returning to base in Thailand from raids in Vietnam, and they were ordered to return with no bombs on board. And as one ex-US pilot said, every day you flew a certain number of missions, and you flew those missions regardless of, of whether there were any targets available or not. So what you're doing is simply decimating any area with human beings in it. And during that war, around a third of the population of Laos was killed, injured or made, made homeless. One writer I read referred to Laos as the biggest bomb site in history. And what's particularly pernicious about that is the fact that so many of the munitions were cluster bombs, therefore they've got this very long legacy. I think they, they estimate about 30% of cluster bombs never go off and they just live secretly. You know, I spoke to many people. I was at a bedside. father was there with his two surviving children and just four days before he'd always warned his children he knew about cluster bombs never to dig anything up they were just in their back garden digging a ditch and they hit upon a cluster bomb and it killed one of the children immediately and the others were terribly injured and so was his wife so they are everywhere and I walked through minefields they were clearing mines 
this was farmland which is still heavily contaminated all these years on, despite clearance efforts. And farmers just, you know, they have no choice. It's either that or they, they don't farm. Some will try doing other things. For example, as I tell the story, they, all, they, they, they forage for scrap. But other farmers are working the land. And sometimes it happens by accident. Sometimes they find a cluster munition and they report it. Whereas there's been a lot of attention devoted to landmines and landmine clearance, cluster munitions are relatively undiscussed until recently. Yeah, and I think it's only because of this Dublin conference on cluster munitions that people have any awareness of what they are. I mean, cluster munitions, that if I can describe them, they have a dispenser or container that holds the sub-munitions. And in Lao, they're called bombies. And these open over a target, and they're, dis- they're, well, they're designed to spread over a large area. And when they fail to detonate, they become de facto landmines. And the primary victims are civilians, often children, who mistake them for toys. People are also collecting them because Laos is a very poor country and the metal in the munitions has scrap value. As someone said to me, this is the best of Detroit metal. I mean, this is, you know, really good metal. And people are, especially people who can no longer farm their land, there's a good living to be made in this it's a very dangerous living. I, I went to many scrap metal yards and the owners all said, oh, it's it's fine. You know, we know what's unexploded ordnance, what's safe, what's not safe. And one chap who was at the owner of a metal yard, he was just flinging bombies and bomblets and around. And I mean, I only realised later how terribly dangerous that is, that he actually didn't know. So there's very great ignorance about just how dangerous they are. And what kind of attitude do people have to, to this activity? They must, they must know that it's potentially dangerous, but think, do they feel they have no choice? I think it's, it's a very surreal place. I was in Zhuang Quan up in the north of Laos, and which is, was the most heavily bombed part of the country. And people, children have grown up with bomb scrap around them. I mean, people's fences are made of bombs. They just collect them, they grow plants in them. So to children who've grown up, that's familiar. So when they see bomb, scrap, UXO and exploded ordnance, they don't perceive any danger because of the familiarity in it. And that's that's the real danger. It's just all around you. It's everywhere. The houses are made of bombs. It's just piling up at the side of the road. The scrap metal yards everywhere. So it's part of the fabric of life. And in one way, it's very effective recycling. In another way, it's extremely dangerous. I think you quote someone in the article saying it's a form of self-exploitation, what the people are doing there in in collecting scrap metal. Yeah, that was Richard Moyes from the Cluster Munitions Coalition. And he says the risk of engagement with ordnance and the value realised to balance against the availability, drudgery and output of, of other activities. So some people, you know, they do know it's dangerous, but it's they do it willingly because there's nothing else to do or else it just pays well. I mean, I was with a civil servant. He was about to retire and he could, you know, he would forage for scrap metal in a crate, a bomb crater for the weekend and make more, you know, in those few hours than he would in the whole month. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it can you can make a good living. You say in the article that there's no doubt about where moral responsibility lies. I wondered if you can say what's happening in terms of actual practical efforts to clear the the cluster bombs and munitions in Laos. Yeah, there are several organisations working to clear Laos of landmines. I met a number of them, the Mines Advisory Group, MAG, their headquarters are actually in the UK, 
UXO Lao, that's another one government assisted organization. And so there are they are doing as much as they can, but they're not incredibly well funded. They could do a lot more if they were better funded. The the USA is funding a number of these organizations, but when you consider that they dropped all the ordnance in the first place, I think the impression I got from people there, including the government, was that they were doing pitifully little. You mentioned at the start the Dublin talks about the banning of cluster bombs, but there are some quite significant absentees on the list of signatories of that agreement, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, some of the world's main producers and stockpilers, that, that includes the United States, Russia and China, they, they've opposed the move to ban cluster munitions. And actually, a statement from the US, they boycotted the Dublin conference um, they said, while the United States shares the humanitarian concerns of those in Dublin, cluster munitions have demonstrated military utility and their elimination from US stockpiles will put the lives of our soldiers and those of our coalition partners at risk. However, the Cluster Munitions Coalition, that's a network of civil society and rights organisations, that they're engaged with the ICRC, the Red Cross, to secure a ban on the weapons they said there's now going to be massive pressure on the US. And Simon Conway from the Cluster Munitions Coalition said, we think that now that all of America's key allies have just renounced the weapon, it will be very difficult for the US to engage in operations with countries who've banned this weapon and continue to use them. So there will be great pressure on the United States. And you saw some of the damage they do at first hand. You, you visited victims of bombs. Yes, I mean, I... As I mentioned, this um, family in the hospital, that accident had just happened four days before. It's happening all the time. And the hospitals are very ill-equipped to deal with the injuries of cluster bombs. I mean, Laos hospitals, I mean, if I can talk about that in terms of underdevelopment, are very unsophisticated. So people who have injuries from cluster bombs will often be sent to the capital, Vientiane, whose hospitals can barely cope anyway. So people, if they have the money, they'll be flown to to Thailand and who has the money in Laos. I spoke to another man, he was probably in his teens, sort of 15, 16, and he was digging for his parents in the garden. He hit a cluster bomb. He lost the entire, I think it was the entire of his right arm from just below the shoulder and was massively disfigured and, and his chest had been hit. And he was riding around town with one hand now, there are, there are a lot of people who have been maimed. I mean, he'd never basically got over it, but he, he worked very hard. He was, you know, he was studying, but, he, the, you know, the legacy lives on. And did you leave Laos feeling pessimistic about their future or optimistic? No, I think it was, I felt very optimistic in terms of, I feel with this, this treaty on cluster munitions, I mean, unfortunately, cluster munitions are a part of life. You go as a reporter to look at one story, which to people there it's it's their life really they don't think about it as a story so people are just getting on with their lives and the mine clearance operations are, are fantastic they're doing brilliant work they just need to be better funded I wondered the, the the bombing and the blitz in the second world war has left such an impression on our national collective consciousness I wondered what kind of did you get a sense of how this period of bombing had sort of impacted on people's psychology Yes, I, I went to one village called Ban Pan in Zhuan Quan province and talked to a man who actually remembered the bombing. This one man in his, in his 70s, he, he remembered, that, you know, and the statistics do say there was, they bombed every eight minutes for nine years and imagine the amount of ordnance that rained down on the country. And his village, you just couldn't live there. 
at the time I mean they went to hide in the jungle but that everywhere was bombed so I think most people went to Vien Chien but he remembered vividly the sounds of the bombing and the pilots flying so low you could actually see into the into the plane so I mean he he had survived it but interestingly he just couldn't understand why the Americans were bombing Laos what what have we what had we done wrong that's what he kept saying they are still very angry because the country is still so heavily contaminated it's it's not just a, a simple case of bombing the country these things continue to to maim and devastate lives i was talking to angela robson about her visit to laos you can read more in her article in the june issue of le monde diplomatique available now in print or online at mondediplo.com there are also full details there on how to subscribe to the publication. And you can hear Angela's radio documentary for the BBC World Service by visiting the BBC website. And now it only remains for me to thank you for listening and say goodbye until next time. Goodbye.